Awesome. All right. So we're in Romans, Romans chapter eight today. Happy Easter without the cross. Where would it be without the cross? And we're going to talk today, not about what the cross did, although we'll mention that, but we're going to talk today about what it is doing in us today. Okay. So there is a difference instead of talking just about the cross and what it did, the position it put us in and where it's taking us into our future. There's, there's something different about that. Okay. So a lot of times we, we come up with the details of the story and we can miss some other things. So our main scripture today is Romans eight, one to five. And I'm going to actually start with the beginning of the, with the, with the end of the message at the beginning. Okay. You know how usually I do, here's, here's what I'm thinking. Here's my scriptures. And then here's my point. Well, that's, that's a good way to do it, but I'm going to give you my point first. And then I'm going to try to convince you to agree with me, okay? I'm just going to come up. That's what all pastors do anyways, right? We want you to agree with us or at least see something new. Because there, there's a phrase that we use a lot that is a very common phrase. And I'm, I want to let you know that uh, I don't think it's a right phrase. And that is a phrase, I am a sinner saved by grace. All right? We've all heard it. Most of us have probably said it, but what I'd like to do, I'd like to challenge us to think again about that phrase and go down to say, I am a saint. And we're talking about what a saint is. I don't mean a saint like somebody that has to be uh, legally proven by a church to say that they've performed miracles or been a wonderful person. So I want to say from the beginning that I think this is a wrong statement. Because what it does, it says that Easter, the work of Easter, didn't really take effect. And it won't, the death of Jesus, I want you to get this, the death of Jesus doesn't impact me now. I'm still just a sinner saved by grace. But when I die, then I'll become something new. But the whole story of scripture, the whole progression is when he dies and I accept it and believe it, all things become new. I don't wait until my death. So a lot, of, a lot of our celebration is, is that actually my death is more powerful than the death of Jesus. That what I do in my flesh is more powerful than what Jesus did in his flesh. And I want to say that actually is a wrong place for us to come from. And it keeps us bound up in shame. It's a statement that opposes the settled and continuing work of Easter. And when I say the work of Easter, I do mean the, the crucifixion, I do mean the resurrection, I do mean the ascension of Jesus, and I do mean the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. I mean the whole, the whole story, not just Easter Sunday morning or Easter as a celebratory service that we have. So, Easter egg that needs to be cracked, okay? So we're going to crack that Easter egg today. Now, now, if you're married, how many of you... Say, when you meet somebody, I am single, I'm a single person in a marriage. That would be ridiculous, right? That would actually probably be offensive to your spouse. I'm a single person, I identify as a single person, but now I'm in a marriage, all right? That, that just doesn't sound right. Some of you gave me funny looks, and because as, when you're married, your status completely changes, and to first identify that, it's also confusing because you're living in a marriage, but keep referring yourself to as a single person. In the same way, it's an insult to tell Jesus all the time, I'm still a sinner. I'm still a sinner, but I'm married to you. I'm still a sinner, but I'm the righteousness of Christ. I'm still a sinner, but he views me as his perfect son. 
because he views me in the light of Jesus and how Jesus is seeing me. So that's, that's like, it's a little bit like all I'm doing is trying to like get you to think like over here. And, and I, I know that it's a little bit difficult, but I don't want you to just not say, I'm still a sinner saved by, I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I want you to be able to just say, I'm a saint and not identify with your old flesh. Stop talking about your old dead person. Stop talking about the person that's been buried and is not going to rise again. All right. So in Romans 8, 1, I'm reading out of the uh, Lexham uh, Bible. I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm only going to use two parts of it, but I want to give you a, an idea. Then I'm going to go to Hebrews just for a minute if I have time. But I want to focus here on this first verse. It says, which we know, consequently, there is now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. And we struggle with, am I in Christ Jesus? And we just have to settle it once and for all. I am in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what my body has done or is doing or will do tomorrow. I still am positionally in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what was impossible by the law in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and concerning sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Again, we live, you and I live according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. Even if our flesh is doing something, we don't live according to the flesh. That's why I'm not a sinner saved by grace. That's why I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I'm a family member, I'm a saint, I'm a prince, not a pauper position. And again, it's not just about not talking from, about the old position. It's actually living somewhere. It's actually living in this reality of a new kingdom with a new king, with a new set of rules, even though it's relational, with a new set of new dynamics. That's actually what the law couldn't get me to live out. Now, the, him dying in the flesh and being resurrected now allows me to live that out. Everything that the law wanted me to become becomes that in Jesus in me. So Easter does prove that Jesus was the Messiah. Easter does prove or, or give us access into a right relationship with God, the Father. All right? But often we stay there. We stay there that it did this. It proves he's the Messiah. Here's the scriptures. Here's what happened. Here's all the things that had to happen for him to be crucified, for him to be resurrected. It's a miracle. And then we jump the story. We go all the way to, I'm going to die and get a better body. But there's something in between out of John 10.10, which is why we start at 10.10 in the morning, is that there's an enemy here to kill, steal, and destroy. But, and there's a big but right there, there's right there, there's to come and give us life. Not just life that we make it, but life and life more abundantly. So what does it mean to celebrate Easter, to be in Christ? I'm going to say, and I'm going to sum all that down to what does it mean to be a saint? What does it mean to be a saint? Or who am come? Right when I receive it, who do I become? I become someone whose sins are forgiven. I become someone invited into eternity. I become someone loved with a love that cannot be separated. I become someone that has the righteousness of Christ and become the righteousness of Christ. Me, you, us, we become new creations. We're not becoming new creations later. We became new creations when we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We become something different, all right? 
And that something different is a little bit different. It's a lot different. And we come from the position of that new creation, that child of God, that seating, being seated in heavenly places. So look at your neighbor, look at him, and say, you are forgiven. Maybe not for what they did to you yesterday, but in God's eyes, they're forgiven. Look at the person next to you and say, you are loved by God. Look at the person next to you and say, you are a saint. Look at your children and your spouse when you say that. You are a saint. What would change if you looked at your spouse, you looked at your kids, and you looked at people in this room, and you looked at them and their sins were forgiven, they're loved by God, and they were a saint? We would and say, I am forgiven. I am loved by God. You don't have to look at your wife when you say that. I am loved by God. (laughs) And um, then I am a saint. I mean, think about that. you, You just declared what you did. You just prophesied. You just declared a truth higher than you might be living out right now. You might not be living out the life of a saint. You might not be living out the peace of, um, of feeling loved by God or forgiven by God. But that's the truth. That's the higher truth that we declare. It's the higher and the deeper truth. It's the both. And so what it does is that's where we come from. That's what Jesus, that's the gospel of the good news, that there's a higher truth to live out of, not a higher truth we have to trudge and really work hard to get to. All right? So we're, that's really that's this idea of us being a saint is an important thing. Here's, here's another Illustration. When you look at a butterfly, do you ever call it a caterpillar? Would you, why not? Because it's not. It doesn't say, oh, its name isn't caterpillar that is now a butterfly. I'm a caterpillar saved by butterflying. It's like, it's a butterfly. Cause, and that's the word for transformation. We think the word for transformation means I would. Transformation. transformation is mind-blowing, heart-wrecking, changes our life. It changes our life. And we live out of that transformative thing. So we don't keep saying, I'm a sinner, even if there's sin in our life. We don't keep saying it. We say, I am a saint. I am a favored son or daughter of the Most High God. And what is happening in the kingdom of heaven is happening here on earth in me and through me. So I like that, um, I like that song that said, you may dwell in me. A perfect place you may dwell in me. And I thought, you know, he chooses, we, we say he chooses to dwell in us. And we also, we would say, you know, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. We would say those things. But think about that. Does he dwell in my body so my body has to be perfect? Does he dwell in my mind or my emotions? He dwells in the spirit of who I am. It's not like when I die, my flesh dies, that God loses his house. He's still, he's still living within me when I leave my body. I'm his dwelling place, a resting place, not because I'm in flesh, but because I'm spiritually inside of this flesh. And so when we think about those things, we have to think a bigger picture, and we live out of the bigger picture the truth that's higher, that's impossible for law, legalism, even Romans 8.1. Consequently, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Shame is the number one reason why we don't, and I'm using shame and condemnation and guilt all at the same word. It's that, it's that pressing feeling that something's wrong with me, that I always have to describe myself in a negative instead of a positive. All right? I always, I always have to say what I'm bad at before. If somebody says, well, man, you really helped me here. I say, well, I'm not any good at this over here. It's all it, coming from a, a negative. It's the number one reason why we don't believe that we're saints. It's the number one reason why we struggle with his forgiveness. It's the number one reason why we stay hidden from other people. It's the number one reason why we don't pursue ministry or spiritual gifts. This shame often disguised as a false humility is, is, a, is, a, is a disease in the church it keeps identifying with our old nature. I'm, ashamed, I'm in shame because I do blank physically. I'm ashamed because I'm divorced. I'm ashamed because I drink too much. I'm ashamed because of different things. That, that is always talking about I'm going to have my spiritual existence based upon what I'm physically going through. And I, I, I'm, a saved by, I, I'm a sinner saved by grace is like saying... Um, I'm a, I'm a child of the devil, but now I'm part of the family of God. But it's really hard to stay in the family of God. I always might slip back, so I need to keep that opening over there. It's a wrong thing, but we have these, this shame meant to have no connection to our old master. So even, even, even if our body, after coming to Jesus, even if our body is operating in sin or things that are damaging to us, we don't just stuff those things and try to get rid of them. We, uh, we allow the body and the blood of Christ to exist there. And then those things do go away. And we're, 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 um, we're not operating. We're not quitting something out of shame or out of condemnation. We're quitting it. We're stopping it because we're so intrigued. We're so enticed with the freedom that's coming. So when is there no condemnation? Is there no condemnation when I say there's no condemnation in my life? Because, oh, well... I'm not sinning anymore. Now there's no condemnation. There's there's an opportunity for no condemnation when he says there's no condemnation. And he's already said there's no condemnation on your life. I want you to hear that. There's no condemnation on your life. There's no condemnation. There's no shame for you to have. You don't wait until you order your life and organize your life and stop the bad stuff. There's no shame right now. You are a saint Old man's gone, new man is alive, and that new man is alive and well in Christ. Even if he's just got a whisper in you. Even if he's just got, it's the fullness. Go to that whisper, go to that sound, go to that one thing, highlight those. And it's declaring truths that are higher than I'm out living out right now. And we struggle with that truth because it's so, it so sounds like a lie compared to how I'm living. But we still do that. So... Self-condemnation is not humility. I want you to hear that. Always feeling bad about yourself. Always saying, I'm no good at this. Oh, that was just Jesus. Oh, I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's, not, that, that's a false humility. What is true humility? True humility isn't believing less about yourself. I want you to hear this. True humility... Well, I want you to hear everything, actually. But these are some points that, I, that really got, get to me. Um, true humility isn't believing less about yourself, but more about what he says you are. We think humility is, I'm going to talk, I'm going to, I'm going to talk down about myself. I'm going to believe less about myself. I'm going to say I can't do anything. And then I read scripture that says there's these amazing gifts and amazing life to live. 
But then we're, we're saying, but I can't have that because I'm no good. I don't deserve it. And, we're th- and we act like it's humility, and, but we're running away from the gifts and the grace and the family inheritance that we have for us. So true humility isn't believing less about yourself, but believing more about God who says you are. It takes great humility to say, great humility to say, I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to believe that God heal, is going to heal you. It takes great humility to say, follow me even as I follow Christ. But, but we're so unwilling to do most of those things because we're so afraid of the shame monster that pulls us back, that has us talking bad about ourselves. True humility says, sounds something like this. I am forgiven. I am loved. I am accepted. I'm a child of God. I'm a prince or princess in the kingdom of heaven. I have an inheritance. There's, a, there's an assortment of spiritual gifts, of spiritual tools. There's an anointing to be had that allows me to walk in my life differently than I ever imagined I could last year. That's for us to have. That's for you to have if you'll receive it. I'm going to go ahead and have to skip that whole Hebrews. It's Hebrews. I'm going to just share it real quick. It's Hebrews 9.14. There's a phrase there. It's how much more then? I'm going to tell you. The gospel of the good news isn't. This is, this is how we give the gospel of good news. I'm going to, you get a phone call and they say, hey, hey, Les, how you doing? Like they're your friend. And they say, oh, you just won seven nights at a beach resort and, and it's totally free. You're like, oh, that sounds amazing. Sign me up. And then you realize, well, there's a $49.99 fee to it, but it's first for the hotel and it's $399. Well, maybe I can do that. And then it's like, well, you know what? The beach resort, you have to fly there and we don't provide the flights. That's, that's the gospel of the good news we give to people. It's completely free, but now you've got to work. Now there's taxes, there's heavy law, there's so much duty, there's so much shame that we pile on people. But there's a much more... That's in the gospel. The Easter story is a much more story. There's much more. What we do, we get into church and we're like, we have so much freedom and then we're alive. And then a year or two down the road, we're burdened down because there's so many things we have to know and not know. And we're looked down about what our flesh is doing and nobody's encouraging us. And it's a, it's a really, there's a much more proposition. So we invite people into this in the Easter story. All right. So that's my short part on that, though. Uh that was sort of my second point. And here's, here's, my, here's my third point. It's going to be short. And I've said the saying and believing that I'm a sinner saved by grace is a form of self-condemnation, which keeps reminding us of where we came from and what we once were. I don't have to be reminded. The only time I'm going to remind myself of where I came from is when I'm bringing redemption to somebody that was in the same part. I'm going to use my story not to keep me in shame and not to keep me down. I'm going to use my story to lift somebody out. So there's a saying that, you know, if you, if you, if you take a golf club or a bat or a basketball or any, any, in any sport, you cannot consistently do well in any sport if you keep saying, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. You might have one good golf swing, but if you keep telling you I'm an idiot, I'm no good. I'm not a good golfer. I'm not a good basketball player. I'm not a good blank. You can't do anything that your mind keeps repeating that you can't do. Your body won't do it. 
You can't do it. You can't live a life. You can't live this wonderful, abundant Christian life if you keep telling yourself, I'm a sinner. I'm no good. I, can need, I need to get some things right. Whenever you say, I need to get some things right, you're saying, Jesus didn't do enough on Easter Sunday. He didn't do enough with the resurrection. He's not enough. But he's more than enough. He's how much more? It says in Hebrews in this area is if, if one person could bring sin into the world, but a perfect Jesus, a perfect Jesus comes and brings wholeness into the world, how much more amazing is that than the sin that's there? See, we focus so much on sin, we forget about the joy of his salvation that he offers us. It's not even my salvation. It's, it talks about the joy of his salvation for me. And I participate in that, and I take that. And uh, what work did you do to receive the gift of eternal life? How much work did you do to receive? What did you have to get right, clean up, change? What sin did you have to stop before you entered into God's family? And all of us would say, nothing. It's a free gift. I have to believe it, become aware of my sins. It's A, B, and assembly of God, it was A, B, C. You have to accept, believe, and confess. So it's, but it's really, you know, you just, you have to, you have to, I'm in need of a savior. I believe, I confess, I receive. I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. But what we, don't for, what we don't remember is that it wasn't based on your works and you're still a real Christian. Um, if salvation isn't based on your ability to be good or do good, then why do you think being a saint is based on you doing good or being good? Why do you feel like the gifts of God are only upon you if you do good and be good? If it comes through belief, your transformation doesn't come through hard works. It doesn't come through loads of Bible study. There's works in Bible study to be involved, but they're all awesome and you will enjoy a whole lot part of the transformation. The butterfly isn't going, oh my gosh, I hope, I, I hope I've got cool wings. I hope I'm beautiful. It's just going through some process. It's just going through some process. That's all it's doing. You know, as I heard, I was reading the story of Johnny Appleseed and, and, um, all the myths about Johnny Appleseed, the mythical figure that was like that, and apple seeds and orchards and stuff like that, who's a, basically a felled capitalist. Um, but those apple seeds that he plants, none of them are going, oh, I, oh, I just want to produce fruit. I just want to produce fruit. I hope I, oh, I'm going to do some work to produce fruit. What does it do? Just gets comfortable, just receives its death, receives its sprouting, rece- receives its process, and produces fruit. We're to produce fruit. You and I, it says here in verse eight, um, chapter 8, verse 5, for those who are live according to the flesh are intent on the things of the flesh. Nobody in here I know is intent on the things of the flesh. Even if things of the flesh still are there, you're not intent on them. You want the Spirit, and you just believe, I am living by the Spirit of God. I'm living according to the Spirit of God, even when these things here are going on. We're living by the cord according to the Spirit of God. So when do, when, when do I get saved? Do I get saved? Do I have a salvation experience when I decide I'm saved? Or when he says I'm saved? It's when he says, right? So I'm a saint. I'm in fullness. I have so much of what he has for me when I start agreeing with him. When does a king's son become a king's son? The moment he's born. The moment he's born, he's born into inheritance. He's born into better. You're not waiting to perfect yourself for things to get better. 
Is there, is there holiness? Are there things that you should and shouldn't do? Absolutely. But we come from a position of being God's children. That's what Easter does. It's like, it's like these kids coming up here and getting candy, getting stuff for free. They came. What did these kids do? They didn't do a thing this morning for us, did they? That's what I mean. Judah did the sound and Victoria did the shopping and setting up. But you know, you know what I mean? They didn't do anything for the people that are here that they're not their kids. I mean, think about that. They come and they receive. They come and they receive. They receive from your table. They're your, ki- they're your kids. If, if you brought your, they're, they're your kids. They're not, they're not like questioning, am I in the family and out of the family? They're yours. We have this family that we're invited into. And um, we're here today. And I, I'm, I'm declaring that I'm a saint. And I'm declaring that you're a saint. I'm declaring there's not another work that you need to do to get into the family, to get into God's good graces. There's some things you, should, you, you need to be believing. And sometimes there's some work, the right works, that get us into the right belief system in, in him. And mostly it, it includes some silence and some diligence, some things like that. But it doesn't mean a whole lot of work and there's no shame. The glory of Easter, there's no shame. The glory of Easter, that it's, it's more story of Easter is for us to come in and accept a new identification. When we say I'm a sinner saved by grace, you're saying I want to keep being identified with who I was, with who, with who the enemy calls me instead of who the Father calls me. And so it's really important for us when we walk in our life to come from that place of identity as his children. Just go ahead and stand. You know, in Hebrews, in Hebrews it says, God is the God who calls things that aren't as though they were. He's the God that calls things that don't exist into existence. The world was created with his words. David, remember David, he looks at Goliath and he says, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, Kill you, and I'm going to cut off your head, and David has no sword. David called out something. He had no provision, no ability. We don't even know if he, needed, if he could use a sword. He couldn't fit into Saul's outfit, which would have had a sword. We know he only has stories of slingshots, but he says, I'm going to do something I've never done before that nobody can imagine I'm going to do. That's us, my friends. That's us. That's me and you. We have the ability to spread the kingdom, to deepen the kingdom, to spread the good news, to have light go around the world because of us, because of what we do and how we are. So, Father God, we thank you for family. We thank you for our family that we're with with Easter. We thank you for the relatives we're going to see this afternoon. And, God, we thank you for that eternal family, that forever family, Father God. We thank you for the community of Tomball that's a spiritual family. And God, we we say today, right now, that we want to walk out of, walk out of, or walk from, or positionally be in you, to be the fullness of who you are, to identify as your children, to identify as your forgiven, to identify as your full of gift people, to identify as your more than enough people, to identify uh, as people with an imagination that is not vain, an imagination that is not broken, but imagination we're imagining your kingdom coming. And we're imagining that we are that we are walking in that kingdom and we're calling out that kingdom and we're worshiping and praising in, in, into that kingdom and into what you have in this region, in this church, in this area, and in our own homes, Father God. 
So we thank you for that. And we ask for this, this uh, religious Easter egg and the others that we have that need to be cracked and replaced with a fuller, uh, stronger, more powerful story, Father God. And right now, just in Jesus' name, by, the, by, by, the, by the, just the power of the Holy Spirit, we speak against it out. Wherever people were feeling shame today or sensing shame or saying, that's me, or, well, you don't know this about me, we bind it up, we cast it out in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we speak grace and peace and forgiveness and love into these specific areas of our life where we have lack. And we say that we are princes and princesses. We are kingdom people. We are not paupers. We are not sinners. We are not outside of the family. And we, have, and, and we are just engaged with you in our everyday. We thank you for that. We thank you for fulfilling all things that you said you'd fulfill in us. And through us. In your son's name, everybody said, Amen. Amen.